0: Hello and welcome. My name is Alice and this is the Backtracker History Show podcast, where I ask you to join me on a meander down through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Most of these podcasts have been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. the capital B, capital T, and a capital UK, or emailing me at info at backtracker.co.uk. Now, on with the show. And for the very first show of 2021, I give you a podcast exclusive. It's an unusual tale that caught my eye set in 1872 in Eaton, Ohio. But first let me tell you what else was happening in 1872. In February the 20th the Metropolitan Museum of Art opens in New York City on March the 1st in the United States Yellowstone National Park which was once dubbed Coulter's Hell, after John Coulter of the Lewis and Clark Expedition, is established as the world's first national park. On May the 10th, Victoria Woodhull becomes the first woman nominated for President of the United States, although she is a year too young to qualify and does not appear on the ballot. On the 3rd of July, Queen Victoria opens the Albert Memorial in memory of her husband, Prince Albert. And on the 21st of December, the Challenger Expedition sails from Portsmouth on the four-year scientific expedition that will lay the foundation for the science of oceanography. But for our tale today, we're going to the village of Eton in Ohio, which was named in honour of General William Eaton, the US consul in Tunis, who led a diverse army in a difficult march, from Egypt to Tripoli to meet the US naval forces. In addition to the city of Eton and the county of Preble, various streets in Eton, Barron, Decatur, Israel, Wordsworth and Summers were named in honor of heroes of the First Barbary War and the Second Barbary War. The town grew quickly following its establishment and in 1846 the town first had 1,000 inhabitants. This growth was primarily derived from the town's location ...at a strategic junction of two turnpikes. In 1849, Eton was the site of a cholera outbreak. About half of the inhabitants fled. Of the remaining 600 people, 120 died. In June 1859, a fire in Eton destroyed 13 of its primary business establishments. The total loss was estimated at $40,000, caused by incendiaries... The fire scorched the courthouse and left it a brown colour. The disaster was first reported by the Cincinnati Commercial. Our story starts in June 1872, when a reporter was asked to visit a number of towns and villages, and he had to stay in San Jose, California. One evening, while enjoying the comforts of a quiet smoke after a hard day's work, conversation turned to an unfortunate case of insanity which had recently developed in the town. The poor person was being held in the city prison and was going to be transported to the local asylum the following morning. The man had been a resident of the valley for a number of years and was quite well to do. The feeling for the man amongst those talking aroused the curiosity of the journalist. On talking to a Mr Tower, a well-connected man of the area, it was soon discovered that the unfortunate man... was called George Beale.
1: About three years ago, Mr. Samuel Beale, the father of this poor fellow, died, leaving George, his only child, in possession of a number of city lots which have since become valuable, and which even at the time yielded no considerable revenue. George was intensely selfish where personal indulgence was concerned. What he wanted, he would have, and it mattered very little to him whose rights were trampled on to obtain it.
0: Apparently a family lived near to George whose daughter Eva was one of the brightest, fairest and most winsome girls of the valley. George became acquainted with Eva after she had finished her education at the local convent school and after a season of devoted attention on his part it became generally known that they were engaged. Eva had close friends in San Francisco whom she would visit occasionally and George's friends would often comment about how often George suddenly had pressing business in the same city. After one of these visits to San Francisco, Eva had returned home suddenly, and on the following day, while seated at the window reading a newspaper, which her father had just brought in, she fell shrieking from her chair in a fit, for which she never recovered, and died a few days later without regaining consciousness.
1: The effect of her death upon Beale was fearful. From being a hale, rosy-cheeked young man, he rapidly became a shattered, prematurely old one, and with his bloodshot eyes betokened sleepless nights. From that time to the present, he has been gradually approaching his present state. For the first five or six years, his condition was one of a man given to morbid melancholy. Lately, he's become violent at intervals and needs constant watching. In this state, he will destroy the furniture in whatever room he is in, and it has become necessary to send him to the asylum, where he will be properly cared for.
2: Word of the Week
0: And for this week's word, I give you... which is an 18th century word which means to lie snug and quiet. And in local news, activities and talks for next week's Diarrhea Awareness Week start on Monday and runs until Friday.
1: Looking for a new podcast? Check out the Infectious Groove Podcast. My name is Russ, and I host the show along with Michelle and Kyle. Every Monday, the three of us bring you music news and tell you our jammy jams, so you'll always have new music to check out. The Infectious Groove Podcast discusses music from nearly every decade and genre while openly displaying our passion for music you need to hear. On top of that, we have a thought provoking main topic of discussion every week to get you thinking, discussing, and sharing music. We also include interviews with the music stars of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms. Subscribe and listen to the Infectious Groove podcast on your favorite podcast platform today.
0: The reporter was quite moved by this sorry tale, and the next morning, whilst he was at the train station, he saw the sheriff enter the express car with a haggard-looking man in his care whose weary expression and half-vacant stare led him to believe that this was the same man that they had been talking about the night before. Being acquainted with the sheriff, the journalist took the opportunity of entering the same car and calling the officer aside to ask if he could sit with the man for a while. The officer made a joke about
2: these reporters being ready to interview anybody for an item
0: and gave his consent. As the journalist sat down, the man gave him a queer look and upon seeing the reporter's badge that had to be worn in those days, he said,
2: Are you looking for something to put in your paper?
0: Then, without waiting for a reply, he said,
2: I could tell you a strange story. You wouldn't believe it, and it won't do him or her any good.
0: The journalist couldn't believe his luck, and asked the man to continue.
2: Do you think that I'm not fully aware of why I'm here? and where I'm going. I know both and am satisfied. And as the doctors and the judges have agreed that I am insane, I am willing that they should think so. They don't punish insane men for murder, do they?
0: George then looked at the journalist in such a way that the poor man could feel the blood in his veins turn to ice. He tried to move the subject of conversation off of murder, but failed, and so let the prisoner talk away, at which the deranged man then said,
2: Do you remember the murder of Billy the cabman?
0: Not expecting such a question, the man said yes, and George continued, saying that the fine policemen and smart reporters never found out who did it. And seizing him by the arm, George hissed into his ear. I did it. The sheriff was nowhere in sight, having gone to stretch his legs, and our poor reporter was feeling very much out of his depth. Listening to George spewing words of bile and filth of the insane, yet there was a distinct feeling of truth. The confession follows that George had followed his fiancée, Eva, from San Jose and had persuaded her to accompany him to a public hall. Once there, the innocent girl had been persuaded to drink wine until she was quite drunk and relying on the honour of the man she loved, she agreed to finish off the night with a night ride with him to the local cliffs and return home the next morning with some plausible excuse for her absence. It was then that George hailed Billy's cab, But Eva lost her earring, and that's where it started to go wrong. Eva came to her senses and realised what George had in mind and became very angry. The earring, by the way, that was missing was an unusual one, made to order by her father, and was well known in the circle of friends she moved in. Eva was afraid that its absence would spark controversy amongst her friends and would be proof of her folly that night. Eva pleaded with George to find it and finally declared that the driver must have picked it up. This idea overtook her, and when George left her at the hotel, he promised that he would find it. He too became convinced that Billy the cab driver had taken the earring, so much so that he followed him home after dismissing him. After being paid by George, Billy went up the hill to his home, not realising that George was following him. And when Billy went into his house... George Beale found a suitable place to hide outside and watch through the window. There he saw Billy take the earring out of his pocket and then he launched himself through the window and so started a violent struggle but ended with one man dead. At the end of this tale, George turned to the reporter and said,
1: You
2: don't believe me. Nobody believes me. I'll prove it to you. I'll serve you as I did him.
0: And started to wrench the seat apart to use the weapon. The officer had just seen what was happening and quickly grappled him to the ground before any harm could be done. George was then shackled and transferred to another train, leaving the journalist to wonder if he had discovered the answer to the murder mystery.
1: What's up, everybody?
2: It's your boy, Zach. It's Josh. Zach, do you enjoy video games, drinking, and attempting to solve the world's problems through ridiculous schemes? Uh, yeah. Do you think others would enjoy that? I mean, I really hope so. So do I. So I think you all should come spend some time with us, the Midwest Meltdown. This show was created by these two fine gentlemen here, myself and Zach, when we spent the last 14 years telling each other funny stories, talking about video games, and literally anything else that comes to mind. We wanted to turn our passion for gaming into something that we could share with everyone. So again, follow us, the Midwest Meltdown, anywhere you can find your podcasts. That's Spotify, Apple Music, Podbean, Google Pods. Check us out. We'd be happy to have you.
0: Latest news just in. The World Health Organization, better known as WHO, announced that dogs cannot contract COVID-19. Dogs previously held in quarantine can now be released. To be clear, WHO let the dogs out? What is the story about what happened on the evening of the 7th of April, 1962? The story concerns Billy the cabman, who was a character well known in those days, especially to the men of the town who, either for pleasure or business, found his horse-drawn cab a swift and convenient mode of transport, and his inquiring, "'Coupé, sir?' a familiar sound to all who often passed his accustomed place." Much of Billy's custom was at night, it was not usually until the afternoon that his cab would be found in the ranks of the others, although it was quite common to find it there well after midnight. So when police officer Sifler brought Billy's cab to the chief's office early one bright April morning, saying that he found it without any driver or passengers, being hopelessly drawn about the streets by a hungry, tired horse, people knew something was amiss. When asked by the police, his fellow drivers who were on the stand with Billy said that Billy was talking about going home when a man and woman had come round the corner and hailed for a cab.
2: Billy got the man's attention first and got the fare. I didn't notice anything unusual about the couple except that the woman or her girl was very young and very pretty. Uh, but the man took Billy to one side and talked in hushed tones for a few minutes before they went on their way.
0: They returned, of about ten minutes later, driving at very fast speed, and started searching for an earring which the lady was sure she'd dropped just as she got into the cab. And so there started a search, with many matches, pieces of paper and even a candle being used, but to no avail. The girl stayed in the cab, anxiously waiting, and the man was getting more and more stressed. He even offered a reward to anyone who found it, but without any success. Eventually they drove off in the same direction as before. The friendly cab driver, who had assisted the police so much, offered to take the tired horse to Billy's place, It was a stable cab house and room all contained in a wooden shanty structure that Billy had claimed via squatter's rights. But the driver quickly returned, and in a breathless tone and terror etched in his face, he told the police that he had found Billy. A group of policemen, some of the cab drivers and a few reporters that had turned up at the prospect of a new story rushed to Billy's house, only to find a scene of utter horror. There were signs of a terrific struggle, and the body of the cabman lay in one corner of the small room, amongst the debris of broken furniture and an overturned stove. One of the legs of the bedstead had been torn away and used as a weapon, and the walls, ceiling and door were splashed with blood. A light drifting of sand had obliterated any footprints that might have been there and there was nothing in the room to help find out who committed this dreadful crime. The police tried every avenue of investigation but it soon became apparent that this was a fruitless cause and the case became a historic mystery for the city. Meanwhile, the bruised, battered and mutilated corpse of poor Billy was buried and his effects disposed of his existence almost forgotten, except by his friends. This is the news from 1866. A London firm was charged with using liver in the making of their famous Leicestershire ketchup, But the case was dismissed, as they argued that ketchup is not a food, so it doesn't come under the Food Act. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I enjoyed making it. And a huge thank you has to go out to our special voice actors for this episode, who are Garrett from the podcast Garrett Talks to Himself where you can hear him talk about whatever is on his mind that week. Also, Russ Robertson from Infectious Groove Podcast, a place for true lovers of music. And then there's Zach from Midwest Meltdown, which talks about drinks, video games and real-life stuff. And lastly, we've got Carl Sutton from My Drunk Movie Theatre, where they dive into the world of film, showing classics to friends, discussing movie news and sharing stories of life as movie theatre managers. Their shows are not just great and entertaining, but these guys are true legends and have really stepped up and helped me out when I asked them to. They've always been very supportive of me and my show, and have always been there whenever I've asked for help. So thank you so much once again, guys. In other show news, I've gone and set myself up a merchandise store at Tee Public, spelt T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C. So if you pop over there to www.tpublic.com and type in Backtracker History Show, you'll find awesome, lovely stuff with my logo on. If you feel able to support the show yourself, there's a way of donating however much you want via the cofee.com website, spelled K-O-F-I. You have been listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. Now, this podcast has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. If you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. If you didn't, well, let's just leave it at that, shall we? I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook using at BacktrackerUK with a capital B, a capital T, capital uk or alternatively you can email me at info at backtracker.co.uk by the way the tune in the background that's by the model folk you can find out more about them at themodelfolk.com so thank you so much for listening and until next time guys take care and look after each other